Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning. How are we doing? Oh, good. There we go. Everybody's excited back after Thanksgiving. You know, I'm going to start off by telling on myself today. Now, this is tough for me, so please don't, don't judge. Guys, give me a little bit of grace because this is a bad one, okay? So over the Thanksgiving holidays, uh, my family and I moved into a new house. Now, automatically, everybody knows what moving is like. Everybody hates it. It's a recipe for stress and disaster. You know, it's not if something is going to go wrong, it's what is it and exactly how bad is it going to be, right? Everybody's been there. Well, we get, we, we get moved into that, we get moved into the house, all right? Everything is there, and that's like a sigh of relief, right? Got everything in one spot at least. So then more work ensues, but at least it's all under one roof, right? So we kind of start going through our list, and one of the things on my list to do is to reprogram the thermostat and change the air filter in the furnace, right? You know, just pretty normal stuff there. So nothing hard. I've done it a thousand times in my life. So go reprogram the thermostat, check, go downstairs to the furnace, pull the door off, get the size of the air filter, Air filter's nasty, it's got to be changed. Put the door back, it takes a little persuasion for it to go back on the unit. Check, and then I go upstairs. You know, I'm about to go to Home Depot and, you know, get some stuff. And I just check the thermostat one last time to turn, turn it down just a little bit. And then I see the code. Power failure. I'm like, power failure? Oh my gosh, I have done something really bad here because this thing was working for days, for weeks, until we moved into this house. And then I start programming things and opening up the unit. Obviously, I had to do something wrong. So I got frustrated. All right, and I said, What did I do? So I went and I retraced my steps. I went down to the unit, I turned it on, I turned it off, I went to the breaker box, flipped the breaker switch on and off, nothing. So I went back to the thermostat, pulled the thermostat off the wall, made sure all the connections were there, everything was good, and I couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. So I said, ah, I didn't do anything wrong, this machine is broke. So I said, I'm going to have to call the heating air guy to come out. So. Called the heat and air guy. He couldn't come out to the next day. That was a frustration in and of itself. But at any rate, he comes out the next day. So I take him down to where the furnace unit is, right? And I tell him everything that happened. He's like, let me take a look at it. I go back upstairs. Just as soon as I get back upstairs, the dude follows me back up and he turns the corner into the hallway and I follow him and the thermostat's working. Just like it hadn't quit. So, I'm, for, I, first of all, I'm relieved. I say, yes, it was a simple fix. But then the next part of me said, cotton picking, I did do something wrong. What was it? So, I went to the guy. I said, sir, uh, this was obviously a simple fix. Uh, what did I do wrong? And then he said, you didn't shut the door. I said, excuse me? 
He said, you didn't shut the door to your heating unit. I said, what? I said, it took me 10 minutes to shut that door. I had to pound on it and bang it and do all that stuff. And, he, and, and I said, there's even a little switch behind that I was so careful not to let the door touch because I knew that if I pressed that switch, like the whole unit would blow up. He said, that's a safety switch. It's supposed to be pressed down by the door. I said, you got to be kidding me. So I had, I had to call a professional heating and air person to come out to my house to shut the door on my furnace unit because I did not possess the proper foundational knowledge to address the problem. In my defense, the guy said, unless you were familiar with this unit, there's no way you would have known what to do. So at least that made me feel a little bit better. So I know next time I put the door on, I'm going to smack it with a sledgehammer to make sure it presses that button. So at that point in time, I knew <laughs> I was not a heating and air guy, <laughs> that's for sure. But foundation, I didn't have the foundational knowledge to, to work that problem correctly. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, foundational things. Foundations are of the utmost importance. When proper foundations are laid in life, in work, in school, in, in extracurricular activities, we are easily equipped to navigate issues that other people would not be able to navigate as easily. Foundations are first things. They are the bedrock upon which we build the structures of our life and our vocations. When they're specifically often unseen, foundations are, are, are hidden things, but they are evidenced in the work that we produce and the behaviors that we model. In short, a solid foundation is evidenced by the way that we live our lives. So going back a little bit, in the spring of the year, sometime between the year 53 and 55 A.D., the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church that he had planted around the Mediterranean in a place called Corinth. You see, they needed to be reminded that Christ is the sure foundation upon which we build our lives in the church. And it is the centrality of the gospel that drives how we engage the world. And today we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-11 through 11, as we explore the topic, Christ, our sure foundation. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5-11. through 11. It's right up there. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what's going on in the church in Corinth right now is dissension. 
Division has seeped its way into this, this body of believers that the Apostle Paul had planted. There was rampant immorality, spiritual immaturity. There was even an improper settling of disputes within the body of believers. After Paul had left, he was a church planter, others came in to preach and teach the gospel. These people were namely Peter and a guy named Apollos. Now Paul and Peter and Apollos had different preaching styles. And there were those in the audience and in, in the congregation, some of those people identified with Paul. And there was a sect of people that grew that said, oh, well, I am of Paul. Well, yet when Apollos came in, there was a group of people that said, I really, really like what Apollos has to say and how he expounds upon the Scripture. So you know what? I am of Apollos. Yet another group of people loved the powerful style that Peter delivered the Word and just his rough, gruff demeanor that he attacked, that he attacked life with. And these people said, well, I am of Peter. Well, there was another hyper-spiritual bunch over here that said, we... that." condescendingly said, we are not of any of these people. We are of Christ. And of course, they, they, they didn't mean that in a good and humble way. So Paul, Paul wrote a letter to correct what was wrong in their hearts. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he writes these powerful words, and I, I love it, he opens up the letter, uh, this is in the first part of the letter, he says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In, in writing this, Paul effectively reminded those in antiquity and us here today that it is the power, that the power of God to save a soul and transform a life is in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his, revela and in his resurrection unto life. Christ broke the power of sin. He overcame death and the grave. He effectively laid the groundwork for our redemption. It is in Christ alone that our hope is found and not in the rhetoric or giftedness or style of men. Certainly God works through people to reach other people. And God has ordained a work for each of us to do in our lives and in the church. But that work must be accomplished in the mutual uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our sure foundation. Today we're going to focus on three main topics within this passage of Scripture. Uh, we're going to talk about the foundation, we're going to talk about the work, and then the results. And, as, and we're going to do this kind of in reverse order through, through the Scripture. So we're actually going to begin uh, with verses 10 and 11, and a little bit later on we're going to come back to verse 10. So, Verses 10 and 11 again, Paul writes, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Point number one, we build upon Christ, who is our sure foundation. So that begs the question, a foundation is something that has to be laid. How is this foundation of Christ laid in our lives and in the lives of others? Well, it is laid through the grace that God gives each and every one of us to preach the gospel. 
Now certainly preaching the gospel is exactly what I'm doing on Sunday morning, but it is not just this, proclaiming the gospel from a platform. It, it, it takes on many other different forms. Uh, and there are these various means through which God works through us to share the message of the gospel. You, you can share the message of the gospel through interaction with your family. You share the message of the gospel when you are friendly as people come onto this campus for the very first time. You share the message of the gospel when you respond to people in kindness and love rather than giving into uh, anger if it's a tense situation. We share the message of the gospel when we interact with people in the world the same way that God has interacted with us and that is through love. You know, Jesus summed up the law of Moses in Matthew 22, 37 and 39 and He said this, I'm paraphrasing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Whenever you act out loving your neighbor as yourself, you are laying the foundation of the gospel in someone's life because that is the only way you can truly and selflessly love anyone beyond your, the, the way that you love yourself because Christ has come into your life and has changed you and regenerated you. So it is out of the fact that you have the firm foundation of Christ laid in your life and you have experienced His love and His forgiveness. And out of that unconditional, graceful, and merciful acceptance of God into His family that we are able to unconditionally love others as we love ourselves. So where, so that's how the foundation is laid. Well then where exactly is the foundation laid? Well, it is laid in our lives and in the church. Paul is specifically writing here about uh, building our lives and the church on the foundation of Christ. Building upon anything but the truth of the gospel found in the Word of God would mean that we are building upon a bedrock of sand. And when the wind and waves and the, the tempest of life come and swirl, if, our, if the structures of our lives are built on anything other than the firm foundation of Christ, everything in crisis will come crashing down. But the opposite is also true. If we build our lives, if we build the church on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ, then the gates of hell will not be able to withstand what God is doing in us and through us to save this world and this community for Jesus Christ. What you're doing when you lay the sure foundation of Christ in your life and in the church is you are expressing the fact that Christ is in you. So, if Christ is in you, well then that's something that happens once, but it's also something that, like, salvation is a path, right? So, we, we get saved, and then we, we, we stay on this path. We, we are, God touches our lives, we're citizens of heaven, and then we grow in our relationship with Him. So how is your growth in your relationship with God playing out in your interaction with your family and others? And is the foundation upon which you're building your life, can others also build upon that foundation in the future?
The sure foundation of Jesus Christ is laid in the lives of others when we love them as we love ourselves. And in doing so, we faithfully preach the gospel in word and in deed. Well, man, this sounds like a lot of work. Well, yeah, it is. It's tough work. It's hard work. But God will give you the grace to accomplish what He has called you to do because, point number two, there is real work for us to do. So, and when we take a look at this passage of Scripture, there are, there are specifically four types of work that the Apostle Paul identifies. There's planting, there's watering, building, and future planning. So let's take a look at these. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, I planted. Well, this, th this specifically means, according to biblical scholars, to instill correct doctrine or right belief. Don't get hung up on the word do doctrine. Substitute right belief for that. The most effective and the most effective way to instill correct and right doctrine is to model the way for others to witness the difference that Christ truly makes in a life. Right belief always comes out of how we interact with others or it always comes out in how we interact with others and how we respond to situations. In order to model right belief, we first have to be full of the truth. You don't have to be a professionally trained theologian to model right belief, but you do have to strive to lead a life that is in submission to the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus refers to in John 16, 13 as the Spirit of truth, who leads us into all truth. Right belief is born out of the truth of God within. So that, and the truth of God is within us by the Spirit of God in order that we might walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh according to Galatians 5.16. So, the work that we have to do right here in planting in others is to make sure that we stay planted in the Word of God ourselves. For Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, as He's praying for His disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God sets us apart from the world by filling us with the truth of His word. In order to plant seeds of truth in others which leads to right belief, we must first cultivate the fields of our heart and make ready for the implantation of the Word of God in ourselves. Number two, watering. Paul simply says, Apollos watered. Well, Bible scholars tell us that this specifically means spiritually watering by teaching the Word. Paul is specifically talking about teaching the Word to others at this point. But... Just, but, but you don't have to have a call to stand up and, and, and teach a class or lead a life group in order to teach others because I would argue that God is calling all of us to teach the Word of God and His truths to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, 10-12 says, 
And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then, let, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, generations matter at Canton Church, soon to be Generations Church, because we, don't, we do not want there to arise a generation that does not know the Lord, our God, who brought us out of the land of Egypt into the promised land of a relationship with God our Father. This begins at home. That means parents, step-parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. If you have young people in your life, God is calling you to water them with the Word. And if you don't have young people in your life, I encourage you, go find a young person that you can pour into. I promise you that they are yearning for godly guidance from someone who has a little bit of life experience under their belt. On the flip side of the coin, if you specifically possess the grace gift of teaching the Word of God, then find a place to exercise that gift. Here, you can lead a life group. You can lead a small group in kids or in students. We would love to help you discover ways to put God's call on your life into practice. You know, this is another one of those things that we do out of the excess of our infilling. In order to spiritually water someone, we have to have within ourselves the fount of living water that is bursting forth to everlasting life. To reach the next generation for Christ, we must not lose our connection to Christ, nor can we forget what God has done for us. The, the methods and the look and the feel of church have changed and they will change probably even more, but there is no shadow of changing or turning with the God that we serve. The same God that has caused us to overcome and be conquerors through Jesus Christ is the same God who has, who has empowered us to overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. See, some of you out there have a God story that, that needs to be shared because there's a young person or a young couple that is going through or about to go through the very same thing that you're going through and they need the hope that God is going to be there to walk with them through it and as you have been, been there through whatever it is that you went, went through as you engage in watering others you are pouring the hope that God will can and still answer prayer and see you through see, see them through whatever it is that life has put in front of their face that is tough be filled to overflowing with the water of life so that God through you can reach someone in the next generation with the gospel. And if you have a calling on your life to teach others, and you're not doing that right now, then don't leave here today without talking to me. I'll find you. I'm the connections pastor. I'll be standing out at the door. I'm going to get you. Listen, my heart in that, I said that in jest, but my heart in that is I want, whatever it is, I and we here, the staff of Camp Church, we want you to be doing what God has called you to do. 
It doesn't have anything to do with us, but it has everything to do with you being in the center of God's will. And we'll stop at nothing. We won't force you. But that, that's our heart for you. The third is building. Verse 9, Paul says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, there, there are two words that we're going to look, look at quickly here. Uh, the word building, um, Bible scholars t- tell us that the Apostle Paul is speaking specifically here to the local church, and he's describing it as a spiritual building, part of the church universal, the body of Christ, and then there's the, then there's the work. The, the Greek root word here is uh, uh, synergos, uh, which is where we get our word synergy. And it means literally to labor together until the end. So this means putting that all together, that God has called us to work together alongside Him to build His kingdom on earth until He comes. We build our lives and our families and the church with heaven in mind. Because what we experience when we come together united in Christ to worship the eternal and living God is a foretaste of glory divine. It is a little piece of heaven below. And our striving, the work that we do, is celebratory. Because in it we are able to enjoy the presence of God here and now. We do the diligent work of planting and watering Because Canton Church, soon-to-be-generations church, is a unique part of the universal body of Christ, specifically and uniquely called to do a work for God in the community where He has planted us. Therefore, we build, therefore, we each build as God the Father gives us the grace to accomplish our calling, but we are not alone because we are building together. And then finally, future planning. Verse 10, we're back to it. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Now there's a very interesting word. The, 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 the words skilled master builder is a Greek word called architecton. It's the only place that this word appears in the New Testament. And whenever there's one of those words, I pay close attention. It's where we get our word architect from. And it simply means a master builder. The superintendent of the raising of buildings. And I think that the Apostle Paul uses architecton specifically in this passage of Scripture is because he wanted to communicate to the Corinthian church that when he planted the church, his actions were guided by a grand purpose that would live past himself. And his grand intention was for others to carry out the ever-continuing work of God that he would do in that community through the church in Corinth. So, what if we approached the work that God has called us to do as architecton? as the chief superintendents who raise buildings and have access to all the plans and the blueprints? What if we began to build our lives in a way that compelled the next generation to join us in building on the foundation of Christ and continue the work 
that you started? What if we approach the work that God has called us to do here in the church with the next people in mind who will fill that role where you're at right now in all the duties and responsibilities thereof? If we decide to take this approach and own the fact that God has called us to do the work of planting, watering, building, and future planning, without a doubt, it would increase our workload. And we would be forced to stretch and become a little uncomfortable in the beginning and in various seasons. But the good news is, is that God will always give you the grace required to accomplish the work that He has called you to do because He will take care of the results. Which brings us to the last point of the day. God is responsible for the, for the results. You're off the hook. You just have to work. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> that, that makes it a little different. Ver, verses, going back into verses 6 and 7, the last part of verse 6, Apostle Paul writes, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God will give increase to the work that He's called you to do. The increase will happen in His time. It will happen in His way. And it will yield fruit according to His plan. And in the meantime, you may get frustrated with God. You may get frustrated with the people that uh, you're, you're around. And guess what? That's okay. At other times, it may seem like you're just cruising down the road and you're seeing the fruit of your labor on the right side, on the left side, and in front of you, and all is good. But no matter the season, whether you're planting or whether you're harvesting, be confident that God is working all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And that's you. You know, I love what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, because he describes Abraham, because Abraham was right there in the midst of that, that faith tension. It says in verse 8, 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Friends, we have to get to the place where we believe that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ever ask or think. And the only way that we can build that kind of faith in our lives is to make sure that we are building on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. So in summing everything up, God has called us to do three things. Build upon Christ the sure foundation, work hard, and then believe God for the results. I know it's easy and tempting for everyone to focus in on the work 
aspect because we can do that and we can check a box. But unless we're building on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ, the structures that we build in our lives and in the church will just come crashing down. Focus on Christ. Surrender yourself to the grace of God and allow His mercy to penetrate your soul and live a life of transformation wrought by the Holy Spirit having your mind renewed so that you can discern the will of God and out of the abundance of the Christ that's living in your heart, your will will be aligned with God's plan and purpose for your life and you will accomplish the work that God has called you to do and God will bring the results. But it begins with the foundation of Christ laid in your life. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. The question that I want to ask today that I want all of us to ponder is how can I go home today and begin building on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ? You know, you might be out there and say, well, Pastor Matt, I'm... I'm currently not building anything on the sure foundation of Christ. If that's you, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Friend, don't wait any longer. If you're not building your life on Christ right now, we'd like to pray for you to receive salvation. Just lift your hand up real quick. Thank you so much. Now, if there's anyone in here, maybe the foundation of Christ has been laid in your life, but you need to have a refocus on foundational things. You need to get back to making the first thing first in your life, which is Jesus Christ. I want to pray today that the Holy Spirit will touch you and empower you to do just that. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. Thank you so much. Hands going up everywhere. Dear Heavenly, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for Christ, our sure foundation. God, I just pray that as this holiday season comes, Lord, that we would be focused on you. God, that our hearts would be attuned and turned towards your word. God, and that you would do a, that you would cause change and transformation to come into our lives, Father, so that our wills can be strengthened and aligned with your wills for our life. Father, we pray together corporately that your will be done in our lives and on the earth below. Thank you so much. Help us to make an impact on others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.